uh, we're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ at any moment. And that's why uh, I stand before you here tonight. Doesn't matter uh, what happens in September. Doesn't matter how nice you are. Uh, you got to be ready for Christ's return. And, and the more I look at what's happening in the world today in Christian community and specifically, there's a lot of fluff out there. Don't you be one of the fluffy ones. Amen. 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 We're going to minister tonight out of the book of John chapter 11. And uh, I believe tonight that God would, would speak a word to you. And I want to, want to finish that thought. I'm, I know First Lady Marie up in Colorado Springs, Pastor Jones' wife says she hates when the pastor starts saying something and don't finish that statement. So I, want, I, want, I wanted to finish this thought that I had. Your pastor will be back when? Tomorrow night? It is so important that you are a blessing to the man of God. Now where I'm from in Alabama, that, e that, that equates to a pastor's anniversary. And I don't care if that pastor ain't got but 10 members. They're going to they gonna put him and his wife up on a cruise and give them $10,000. If they ain't got but 15 members... They're going to be selling food stamps to come up with that, that cruise. And that 5000 That's not what I'm talking about. Now, ain't, there's nothing wrong with blessing the man of God financially. Ain't, and I'm, I'm not knocking that. Uh, but what, here's what I'm saying. There's something about a heart that says, Pastor, whatever's in your heart, do it. I'm with you. And... Uh, I can assure you, Blake hadn't told me, man, I got a bunch of rebels. Quite the opposite. But here's what I want you to do. If, if you, if you uh, love the Lord, I want to put this challenge out to you tonight. Just say, God, I want to see what's in my pastor's heart come to pass. Say, God, give me that heart that will drive the ball for him. When David said, man, I'm a little thirsty. Man, David's mighty men broke through. I don't know how many guys they killed. Probably a thousand men. They just broke through. Poof, broke through a whole army, like three of them, and went and got a drink of water for the man of God just because he said he was thirsty. See what I'm saying? That's David's mighty men. I believe that those types of people are in here tonight that would say, God, I want to see what's in my pastor's heart come to pass. Because the more I look at the Christian community, I see guys who are fleecing the flock. And you have pastors here, uh, Pastor Blake and First Lady Carla, that really love God and they love you. And so set that in your heart that I'm, gonna, I'm going to, I want to uh, rededicate and reignite that passion. And I want to see my pastor's vision come to pass. And I promise you, God's going to make big things happen in your life. I've been saved for 20 years now. 20 short years in 1995, June of 1995, I gave my life to the Lord. And everywhere I've gone, uh, the military has taken me all over the world. I've tried to have that same example where that pastor that was in that place, I said, God, I'm going to see his, his vision come to pass. And God's, I'm now seeing the will of God for my life come to pass. Amen? Praise God. You have John chapter 11? All right, let's pray. God, I pray tonight that the word of the Lord would have free course in this place. 
that hearts and minds and ears and eyes would be open to receive and to see and to perceive what you're doing. And God, I pray that you would be glorified in this place. To the end, Lord, that there would be living testimonies in this house. We give you glory and praise for doing it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 15 here. And it says, Now a certain sick man named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Uh, a, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I want to get, make sure you get that. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode, or he stayed two days still in the place where he was. Then after that, saith he to the, his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples saith unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things saith he, and after that he saith unto unto them our friend Lazarus sleepeth everybody say sleepeth but I go that I may awake him out of sleep then said his disciples Lord if he sleep he shall do well Howbeit Jesus spake of his death but they thought that he had spoken of taking a, of rest and sleep then said Jesus unto them plainly Lazarus is dead, oh dense ones. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. As I read that, I read that many years ago and it never ceases to amaze me that when I read that particular story, it prefaces the a uh, fact that Jesus waited two days before he even left to go and see about his friends. He waited, it, it, they prefaced it with the fact that he loved them. It is important to know that uh, that is, to the natural mind, uh, kind of awkward. That's a contradiction. If my wife calls me and says, uh, I'm here on 635 and I have a flat tire. And I say, okay, I'll be there soon as me and the boys go get some wings for lunch. How many know she might get a little upset? Because time is of the essence here. 
there's something going on here and when these ladies sent for Jesus it was understood that you love Lazarus and therefore you need to come speedily because he whom thou lovest is sick and yet he takes two days and Jesus tells his disciples well boys after two days reckon we better go see about old Lazarus and they said well uh, you know they trying to kill you over there and Jesus said, we ain't got nothing to be afraid of. He, uh, we are people of the day. We walk in the light. We ain't got to be scared. And so they said, uh, he said, listen, we just going to see about our brother who sleeps. And they said, you know, you know how dense folks are. Uh, well, if he sleeps, seems like it'll be good if he get his rest. He ain't been feeling well. If he gets some sleep, it'll be good. And Jesus, I can just imagine Jesus looking at him like, Really? Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. Have you ever felt in your life like if only God would come through in this moment, it might be all right. But when that moment comes and goes, and after that moment, you're like, oh, man, well, I guess something else is going to have to happen then. We always say God is a, an 1159 God. But the more I serve God, and I understand what we mean by 1159, but the more I serve God, I'm becoming uh, a little bit more like God is a 1201 God. He likes to wait until your timeline has passed, your ideas have passed, your thoughts, your opinions, your strategies, all of that, he just kicks it, just kicks the door down on all your stuff, and then after all of your little planning is gone, then he comes in and does what he wants to do. There is uh, what could be described as a faith incubator. And I looked up that word incubator because I'm from Alabama and we don't know what a lot of these big words mean. That word incubate means to keep something in proper conditions for development. So if you have a child, maybe that child is born prematurely uh, as uh, 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 some of our children were and they'll put that child in there and it's like a, a pure container form, like a bubble. I remember when I got sick, I was 18 months old, I stopped breathing, was almost dead. They put me in a plastic incubator for three days. And my mom said she knew I was better because I figured out how to get my fingers in the incubator and rip the thing open. She said, okay, he's better now. He can come out of the incubator. The incubator is to keep something in proper conditions for development. And I believe when we're going through that S word called struggle, it is the faith incubator. It is something that keeps us in a proper condition for development. There is no better incubator than struggle and trouble. There's no better incubator for faith than struggle and trouble. There's a song, that song says, through it all, I learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And the songwriter says, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. 
I could say, hey, I think he could solve them. I could say, you know what, I saw he, this person had a problem and he fixed their problem for them. But if you don't have some struggle in your own life, there's no way you can know that God can come through for you. It is a personal struggle. And that doesn't matter if you're born with no parents, with a single parent, you're born in the ghetto, if you're born with, with uh, one arm or one leg or one eye or one kidney or one lung, doesn't matter what your condition was when you were born, doesn't matter if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you must go through struggle. And it's not something that we're looking for. It's not something that we're Seeking after, not something that I'm saying, yeah, I want to grow up so I can go through struggle. I'm a, I can't wait to grow up so I have to figure out how to pay these bills. Nobody don't say that. Doesn't matter if you're born, you're given everything. I'm, I remember the way I grew up, and I listen to the stories of my parents and how they grew up. And I see how my kids are growing up, and I say, thank God for progress. How many can say, thank God for progress? Thank God I ain't have to grow up the way that my parents did. Going out to a well to get the water. <laughs> Riding on a dirt road to get home. Fighting the snakes to go to the bathroom. Thank God for progress. Amen. Amen. But struggle. God allows us to go through them through some things so that he can build something in us and in Deuteronomy chapter 8 he gives us a little insight he says remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands yes he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord for all these 40 years your clothes didn't wear out your feet didn't blister or swell your tire didn't go flat even though you could see the metal in it think about it just as a parent disciplines a child the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you're going through a test. Maybe you're going through something and you ain't got sense, know, sense enough to know that it's a struggle. You just think it's just, you know, uh, everybody going hard time. No, God's putting you in a faith incubator. And he's saying you're in a place where I'm calling you and I'm trying to get you to look to me and to trust me. And this story, Jesus loves Lazarus. And so often men think that things aren't, when the things aren't going the way that I'm expecting them to go, when things aren't happening the way that I expect them to happen, it's because God doesn't love me or, or he doesn't care for me. And that's not true. Lazarus is a prime example that Christ really, really cared for him and yet his coming to help him was delayed. And you say, well, why would God wait? for so long and he told us why he waited he says I'm waiting so that you might believe that's what he told the disciples I'm waiting so that you might 
believe. But delays are not denials. Delays are not denials. My brother preached a message one time, and I could really relate to this one because I'm a phone guy. He says, when God puts you on hold, don't hang up. You ever been on hold before? You hear that music? And, and, and every note of that music just gets you madder and madder. You're like, man, I wish these folks get on the phone. Can't be that many people talking. Next thing you know, a sanctified person getting ready to cuss because you've been on hold so long. But when God puts you on hold, don't hang up. When Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick, he still waited two days before he took off. I'm reminded of the struggle, the struggle that's required. And I found that story. I don't know how many of you have heard the story of the, the uh, butterfly, the caterpillar that changes into the butterfly. But it says a little boy was playing outdoors and, a fascin and found a fascinating caterpillar. He carefully picked it up and took it home to show his mother. He asked his mother if he could keep it, and she said that he could if he took good care of it. The little boy got a large jar from his mother and put plants in it to eat and a stick to climb on in the jar. Every day he watched the caterpillar and brought it new plants to eat. One day the caterpillar climbed up on the stick and started acting strangely. And the boy wondered, uh, 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 wondered and worriedly called his mother who came and understood that the caterpillar was creating a cocoon. The mother explained to the boy how the caterpillar was going through a metamorphosis and become, to become a butterfly. And the little boy was thrilled to hear about the changes his caterpillar would go through. He watched it every day waiting for the butterfly to emerge. One day it happened, a small hole appeared in the cocoon and the butterfly started to struggle to come out. At first the boy was excited, but soon he became concerned. The butterfly was struggling so hard to get out, it looked like it couldn't break free. It looked desperate. It looked like it was making no progress. The boy was so concerned, he decided to help. He ran to get scissors and then walked back because he had learned not to run with scissors. He snipped the cocoon to make the hole bigger and the butterfly quickly emerged. As the butterfly came out, the boy was surprised. It had swollen, it had a swollen body and small shriveled wings. He continued to watch the butterfly expecting that at any moment the wings would dry out, enlarge and expand to support the swollen body. He knew that in time the body would shrink and the butterfly's wings would expand, but neither happened. The butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. It never was able to fly. As the boy tried to figure out what had gone wrong, his mother took him to talk to a scientist from a local college. He learned that the butterfly was supposed to struggle. In fact, the butterfly struggled to push its way through the tiny opening of the cocoon, pushes the fluid out of its body and into its wings. Without the struggle, the butterfly would never, ever fly. The boy's good intentions hurt the butterfly. As you go through school and life, keep in mind that struggling is an important part of any growth experience. In fact, it is the struggle that causes you to develop your ability to fly. 
It is the struggle. I don't know about you, but I hate struggling. <laughs> I don't like struggle. I was a, uh, you'll start an exercise program, and I'm doing some work at the Frank Crowley building. Some of y'all probably unfortunately know what the Frank Crowley building is downtown. And it, uh, that's, where, that's where they are, the, the, the courtrooms are. And I know when I, have to, when I have to work on something down in the phone room, it's in the basement. But in order to get to the basement, you got to go through these steep stairs to get there. And I'm always thinking, man, I sure hope I can fix this without having to go down to the basement. Because it's going to struggle to try to get back up them stairs. I mean, no, if, it's, if you're going to ever do something great, you're going to struggle. If you're going to lose weight, you're going to struggle. If you're going to stay married any amount of time and not kill one another, you're going to struggle. If you're going to serve God, you're going to struggle. You say, well, I got plenty of money. I'm, I'm, I, all my bills are paid and all that, all that take care of. Listen, there's going to be a struggle. Sometimes the fight it's just a fight of faith. Sometimes it's a fight against your flesh that doesn't want to obey God. But there is a struggle that's required to accomplish the will of God. And we said, God, well, just cut a little bit of a, a bigger hole in this thing and let me out a little bit sooner. And he says, no, because the struggle is what's required to push out all the junk that's in your life. And that delay. If you think about an incubator, you put that baby in that incubator, the best asset of the incubator is the time that you're in there. You put that baby in that incubator for, for a minute and then pull them out, it won't do anything. But if you put them in there and you allow the delays of life to come, that delay is the greatest asset of the incubator because it keeps them in the proper conditions to develop. And God is trying to put many of you in a different condition. Maybe you're in a toxic condition. Maybe the situation you're in is toxic. Maybe that situation causes you more hurt than it does help. And you think, well, if only somebody would help me out a little bit, then I would be okay. And that's not going to happen because it is the struggle that builds the character. Nothing else does it. Job learned this. In Job 23, he says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backwards, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him, and he hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That process that you'll go through, the process of growing in God the process of changing your mind I was talking to our church this morning about a changed mind your outlook your perspective on life God's more concerned with the process than he is the product he's more concerned with the steps that you take rather than the outcomes and all you got to do is I don't know how many of you ever been on an outreach you've been on a door-to-door -door evangelism you knock on a hundred doors and you don't pray with nobody. You're like, oh man, we failed. No, you didn't fail because you showed up. See, there's the difference in Christianity. In the world, the world is results driven. 
Well, if you don't, you don't make this sales goal, if you don't do this amount of work, if you don't make this number of widgets, then you are unsuccessful. But in God, it is the process. It's not the fact that you showed up to church, but did you show up to church with a heart to glorify God and love his people? Amen. Who cares if I brought my wife flowers if I just throw them on the table and say, hey, Be like the old guy that when he married his wife, he said, listen, I love you, and if something changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> you don't ever say it again. <laughs> Can't be that. It's not just the results. It's not just the fact that you brought flowers. It's the process. It is the walk of faith. And most people are just concerned with the outcomes. Most people are concerned with the if-onlys. Y'all heard of those if-onlys before? If only I'd have got that job. If only I'd have married her instead of you. If only I'd have went to that church instead of this church. If only I'd have moved to that city instead of this city. If only your mama would stay out of our business. The if-onlys. And... Even here in John chapter 11, Mary and Martha are guilty of operating in the if-onlys. John chapter 11 verse 20 says, When Martha got the word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Right? Martha went to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. That's going to be important in a minute. Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you would have came when we called you. How many of you let her blame somebody else when something don't go the way you thought it should have went? And maybe it is their fault, but you can't live in the if-onlys. The believer can't afford to live in the if-onlys because the if-onlys of life are a torment. You can't roll it back. That, uh, I forget who the songwriter is. Maybe her name was Cher. Cher wrote that song. If I could turn back the hands of time. Well, you can't. <laughs> so what you going to do now? You got to live. That's why the Bible don't say uh, yesterday's faith. It says now faith. You know, another thing, there's always a show in the peanut gallery. There's always a show in the peanut gallery, Brother Dylan. You walk by faith, it's going to be all these folks that's going to be asking you about the, not only the if-onlys, but the whatabouts. Y'all ever, ever heard somebody talking about the whatabouts? Well, what about this? What about that? And they don't talk about the whatabouts, they talk about the how you're going to. How you're going to do this? And how you're going to do that? And the what ifs? What if this? And what if that? And you have a 24-hour show in the peanut gallery. Mary and Martha had a peanut gallery with them, and they were putting on a great show. And here we see in John 11 and verse 32, uh, this peanut gallery, and there's something about the peanut gallery now. they always available to support your own will. Listen to me now. Especially you young people. 
Don't ever go on Facebook and ask somebody what you ought to do. Don't ever ask somebody that's not spiritual what you, what, what you think about, ought to do about this. Because listen, they are always ready to give you the answer for what you want to do. If you got things in your mind that you want to do, you need to talk to somebody that probably don't even really agree with you. That's spiritual, of course. Not somebody that just want to point out the what ifs and the what abouts and the if onlys. But there's something about this peanut gallery that will support what you want. And here we see in verse 33 that Mary arrived after Martha and saw Jesus. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here. Now we got Martha who came earlier. Her story was if only. And now Mary coming later and it's the same thing. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, he said, oh, sweetie, it's going to be all right. No, the Bible says when Jesus saw her weeping and the peanut gallery saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. A deep anger? Hold on, Jesus. You love Mary. You love Martha. You love Lazarus. Uh, they're grieving. You should be comforting them. Any good pastor don't show up to the hospital when somebody just lost a loved one and get mad. How many wouldn't go to that pastor's church? Well, Pastor Jesus got mad. And he said, and he looked around at the peanut gallery supporting what they wanted to do, which was be sad and sorrowful, sorrowful instead of operating faith. And there's always going to be some people that's willing to be sad and sorrowful with you. There's always going to be some people that's willing to flap their gums and talk about something. There's always going to be some people that's ready to go back out and hit the club, that's ready to go back out and get a feel for Mad Dog 2020. Do they even have that no more? Don't answer because you tell on yourself. There's always somebody that wants to go back and do the other thing instead of believe God and trust God. And the Bible said when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her. You know they hired folks back in those days to cry with you. That's sad. I wouldn't want that job. Just sit around and <laughs> now I'd have been pretty good at it because I I water up and holler in a minute. I watched uh, I don't know how many of you heard of Tamala Mann. She sings the song "Take Me to the King." I watched her story, how she grew up, and she talked about how she was in that. She used to have to go in the trash can to eat, and boy, I just sat there. And just watered up and hollered. And it wasn't even my story. <laughs> I'd have been a good whaler. But Jesus got frustrated at these folks. And the Bible says he was deeply troubled. Can I tell you something? When you don't operate in faith, it bothers God. When you don't operate in faith, it irritates him. It reminds me of the folks in the book of Zephaniah chapter 1 the Bible says was settled on their leaves on their leaves saying God will not do evil neither will he do good in other words God's not going to do anything so just don't worry about it he ain't going to punish you 
He ain't going to help you. He's just doing nothing. God irritated by that. And he made him mad. And the Bible says that Jesus, a deep anger welled up within him, in him and he was deeply troubled. And these people came to Jesus and were sad. And they were with the if onlys. But I tell you what, true believers invite and are open to faith folks. True, true believers say, you know what, I want to I be around folks that, that speak faith. I want to be around folks that believe in God for something. Let me ask you something. Are you believing God for something? I'm not talking about that new car or that new, yeah, all of those things are fine. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about destiny. I'm talking about walking in your destiny. Listen, you were created with something that nobody else should have to do. I used to say that nobody else can do. Till I found out Elijah said, I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm the only one left. And God said, all right, it's going to be all right, Elijah. But don't get it twisted. I got thousands in Jerusalem that doing the exact same thing that you're doing. So, you know, if you don't do it, then I got a few thousand more that will. <laughs> but God wants to use you. And he'll put you in a place. And he'll give you a time and a season. And times and seasons will, will, will uh, connect. And they will, will come together. And that time where God will use your life. And you want to be around folks that are believing God for something in that time. You want to be around folks that will speak straight to you. And you want to invite those who are around you to speak into your life. You're going to be around some folks, trust them enough to speak into your life. Woman of God, I'm, I'm always, uh, and I'm, I might have brought this up before, but, and, and I know ladies, sometimes it, all ladies have to do it, but it, it kind of makes me uncomfortable if I'm around a lady and she's constantly doing this. Y'all know what I'm talking about, ladies? I'm like, I know we got kids in here. You didn't see that in the mirror before you left home? Man, you, now we pulling it all up? That step on your toe? You need to be, and, and you should invite, instead of saying, husband, do I look cute? Say, hey, am I showing too much here? Because I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I don't want to bring shame to the name of the Lord. It ain't about trying to uh, be a holy roller or nothing like that. Ain't got nothing to do with you. Nobody thinking about you. It's about him. And I'm carrying his name. We got preachers now taking selfies of themselves in Under Armour. I'm like, dude, you 50. <laughs> Stop doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're 50 or, or 18. Is, there's something about it, and, and y'all got to excuse me. I, I just got on Facebook, so if I don't respond back to you right away or something, it's because I don't know what I'm doing at the time. But I'm amazed at the number of selfies. I heard now they got a selfie stick. Is that right? I ain't come here to be talked about. 
I'm talking about being a living testimony. Being a testimony. We don't have to see 80 selfies of you a day. One a week is good. Ain't got nothing to do with being saved. <laughs> Listen, what, do, what does that speak to? What is its purpose? What is its, what is its goal? Have I forgotten how Dwayne looks? Can't forget that. I was kidding, Dwayne. <laughs> Have I forgotten how I look? That's what the Bible says a man. Forgets how he looks. Look in the mirror and then straightway forgets how he looks. You have to ask yourself, is what I'm doing glorifying God? Really? And if it's not, what am I going to do about it? But I have to have somebody in my life that loves me enough that says, you come off as narcissistic on Facebook. Stop it. Right? Right? Now it's one thing if you're like Dylan and Ashley and there's a giraffe behind you when you're doing a selfie. Now that's awesome. You know, if I got a lion behind me, you can get, I guarantee you, I'm going to do a selfie. Right? I saw one and then I'm going to get off Facebook. I've got all this Facebook preaching built up in me. I ain't had a chance to put it out yet. I saw one, it was a long, it was a bunch of selfies. Like they were like. (laughs) Talking about being a living testimony. Who am I testifying about when I do that? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Here's what, the word, here's what the word of God says. Come out from amongst them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. In another place he says, if you separate the precious from the vile, you will be as my mouth. Sometimes folk be like, oh, it ain't real. Because they saw your Facebook page. I know when we get ready to hire somebody, one of the first things I do, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I don't know Snapchat that well or or Instagram or any of the other ones. So I I check those ones, I know. Because I want to know, are we hiring uh, a wingnut here? You be the judge. Do you look like a wingnut on Facebook? Okay, all right. That's a, I'm about half a tank on my Facebook preaching now, so we'll let it stand right there. There's a stone in front of this tomb that Lazarus is in. And that stone represents limitations, right? Those, that limitation, that stone is the only thing that separates Lazarus or Lazarus' body from his family the only thing that separates them that stone represents proof of death in other words we don't put people in a cave and roll a stone over it typically unless they're dead 
When my, when my father passed away uh, last year, uh, we sat down at Philip and Riley Funeral Home and we picked out a headstone and a stone to go over his grave. But we only did that when he died. <laughs> now I know there's some people that plan their funeral and they got their headstone already paid for. That's all right. But we're not going to put that thing on top of you until you die. The stone represents proof of death. The stone represents finality. This is it. This is over. This is done. The stone represents lost hopes and dreams. As I held my father's hand last year, I got to thinking of all the things he wouldn't get to see. My wife was eight months pregnant, seven and a half, eight months pregnant while we were there during that time. And I thought about, man, he'll never get to see Caroline. That stone represents the lost hopes and dreams of Mary and Martha. All the things they wanted to do with their brother, they were gone. That stone represents pain. You go to a loved one's graveside, you begin to cry, you think about uh, 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 the pain of losing them, and you also think about loss. That's what that stone represents. Can I tell you tonight that some of you have a stone over your dreams? Things that you may have thought one, one, at one time, you know what, I could, I could do this or I could be great at that or I could accomplish this, I could start a business, I could work there, I could help someone do this. And you know what, there's a stone over that thing. It's died and you put a stone over it. And when you think about it, you're sad because you're like, well, can't do it now. But I came tonight to let you know stones can be rolled away. Men, men will put a stone in a place, but only God rolls it away. Behold, there was a great earthquake in Matthew 28. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Boy, I wish I could have seen that. Of course, I probably would have been just like the gardeners, just as scared and, oh, Lord. Unbelief provides reasons why the stone can't be removed. When you don't believe God can work in your life, you have a whole bunch of reasons why he can't. And when Jesus gave the order to roll that stone away, immediately, here comes Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by now he stinketh. You said, Lord, by now my dreams stink. <laughs> It'll never happen now. But God is saying, it can still live. She said, Lord, our brother's been dead for four days now. Maybe there's a hint of uh, sarcasm in her voice because in the back of her mind, she's thinking, if you had been here, he might have still been alive, but he's been dead for four days now. Lord, if you had used me 20 years ago, it would have been awesome, but it's too late now. What can... In your life, do you not want to deal with because it, it stinks? What's in your life that stinks? You say, I don't want to deal with it. Maybe your marriage stinks. Maybe your job stinks. Maybe your children stink. You got little children, they probably do stink. <laughs> Just kidding. Do you know what I mean? It, it's like this thing is so bad I don't even want to deal with it I don't, even, I don't even know how to start here I want you to know tonight that the things that are dead can live again 
things that are dead can live again. In the hands of God, these, those things can live again. And Jesus in uh, verse 41, they took the stone away from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people that are standing around, I said it that they might believe that you've sent me. When he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with gray clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto him, loose him and let him go. And I want to close with two thoughts, and then we're going to pray in this place. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead now lives. That area in your life that was dead, now is made alive. Maybe you were a backslider or you were a sinner and you got saved. That old man died and that new man was born. And there's Lazarus, the one who was dead, came forth. And there's dead things that may be in your life and God's saying those things can come forth. Maybe there are things that you put them on the back burner. Maybe you put them to the side or maybe you just gave up on them and you thought, well, because God didn't make it happen the way I thought it would happen, then I guess that means it won't happen. But here's what God says. He says in John 12 and 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bring forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. You're going to do something great for God, let me tell you something. Your dream will die. If there's no struggle, if there's no struggle, if you say, if you have a dream and then immediately whoop, that dream just comes to pass and now you're walking in it. Oh, the Bible says you're a novice. It says don't put a novice up because he's subject to the devil. Don't put a novice up because he's subject to that BH disease, that big head disease. Head be so big. I saw a baby one time, his head was so big he couldn't even keep it up. You get the big head. But you know what struggle does? Struggle lets you know if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side, man, I'd be a goner. I'd be a goner. But he was, and he is. And so he says, Lazarus, come forth. Only Christ has the power to take you out of your old dead life into newness of life. But it doesn't stop there. And I've seen this so many times. And I would, I would, I would say that this is the most disappointing thing I've seen in my 20 years of, of walking with the Lord and in Christianity. And that is people that get saved, they come out of the grave but they keep their grave clothes on. That's the most disappointing thing to me. I had the opportunity, uh, it was divine intervention, I don't have a doubt. I'm gonna need some of y'all's help. I met with the, uh, the director of inmate programs down at the Frank Crowley prison. I had the opportunity to spend about 20 minutes with her. She says, our men are begging for men to come in and teach them how to be husbands, fathers, and better men. And as she talking, boy, 
I could just feel my back tingling. That's exactly what I want to do. It's exciting to me. Men that don't just want to come out of come out of death into life, but men that say, you know what? I know I better get these grave clothes off. Because there's nothing worse than being alive but being wrapped up like you did. How many times have I stood before a congregation and seen men in a service and women too in a service like this? You ever wonder why the devil don't want you clapping your hands? Look a lot like you're dead. That's kind of spooky, ain't it? That's how you look in praise and worship when you don't clap your hands like. That move or something, let somebody know you're living. Man. The grave clothes. Jesus didn't just say, Lazarus, come on out of there. And then just say, all right, he good now. No. He said, lose him and let him go. Because only when he's loosed and let go can he actually tell the testimony. And how many people get saved, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, start going to church. Maybe you throw away the Mad Dog 2020. Maybe you throw away your dime bag. Maybe you throw away your old girlfriend or your old boyfriend. Maybe you clean up your Facebook page, but you still got the grave clothes on. God is saying there's so much more. I didn't save you just so that you could get religious. I didn't just save you so you could be moral. Some of the most moral people I know are they staunch atheists. You got folk right now, they ready to kill that doctor that killed Cecil the Lion. They like it is wrong to kill lions, so I'm going to kill you for killing the lion. In, the, in, their, in their warped mind, that's moral. Come out of those grave clothes. The grave clothes of laziness. The grave clothes of lethargy. The grave clothes of indecision. The grave clothes of inconsistency. Those grave clothes that prevent you from really saying, God, I'm going all out. I, I, I was thinking one day, I said, if I could have my perfect church, what would it look like? First thing I thought in my mind, I don't know if it was God telling me or it was me, but like, well, you wouldn't be the pastor of it. <laughs> yeah. I said, if I had my perfect church, as soon as, the, as soon as Dylan came up and said, all right, everybody, let's praise God, Everybody, he'd look out and everybody would be like, yes, 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 let's praise him. <laughs> you wouldn't, he wouldn't have to be like, come on, guys, please, please, let's clap our hands. Please, let's, please, let's lift our hands and worship. Please, has he done anything for you? In my perfect church, everybody would be like, yes. In my perfect church, people would clap like this. Not like this. Like this. And even if they have beat, 
In fact, I'll take both of them. That means we got some diversity going on, ain't it right? <laughs> In my perfect church, when it's time to preach the word, people would have their Bible. They'd have a pen. And they might even use it. Or they might not. Because they're so intent on the word. They want to get the word. Some people are like, I'm going to get this and then I'll just get the tape because I want to I make sure I'm listening here. Other people are like, I got to write that down. And then at the end of that service, I'll say every head bowed and every eye closed. In my perfect church, those that weren't saved and in their hearts they know they're not right with God, they would be saying to themselves, man, he's talking about me. I'm not right with God. I need to do something about this. That's perfect church. In the American church, you'd be like, man, it's almost lunchtime. Wish this guy would come on. <laughs> oh, not today. My witness to this guy, you ever witness somebody? We're like, yeah, brother, you know, you got to get saved, man. I'm going to tell you the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, man, don't you, don't you, don't you, uh, uh, don't you understand that God died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. One day he's coming back. He's like, yeah, yeah, I understand that. I said, man, can I pray with you to receive Jesus Christ today? He was like, no. Nah. <laughs> In my perfect church, I said, you know what? This message spoke to you. We're going to open up these altars. And in my perfect church, people would come out of their seats and hit the altar. And not do this. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Anybody ever went to sleep at the altar? Like 15 minutes later, you like, your eyes all red. Folks think you've been crying. You've been asleep. Once that happened to me. I want to get out them grave clothes, man. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I don't want to try to fit somebody else's mold of what I should be. I want to be free to be me. I'm a, you, you know me at all. You know I like to laugh. If you are not a laugher, that's fine. But don't come around me and try to be a laugher. Be quiet, because I like you better if you're just being who you are. In my perfect church, nobody would gossip. In my perfect church, nobody would quit my church. In my perfect church, when people came in and said, I'm going to be a member of this church, they stayed and were members of my church. <laughs> in my perfect church, people were happy with each other. And every person could look out across the whole conversation, uh, I mean the whole congregation, and every person they looked at, they would be glad that they're there. And they wouldn't care who got the credit and who was preaching on Wednesday night. It didn't matter who was preaching in my perfect church because God's word was being proclaimed. In my perfect church, these are people that are living testimonies. These are people that God wants you to be. Doesn't matter if Pastor Blake's preaching, Dwayne's preaching, K 
came and preached for us. Did a tremendous job. Amen. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who's preaching. Because God's word is being ministered. One good thing about Facebook, somebody posted a, a video, a short video of folks in China. They opened up that suitcase that they smuggled in full of them Bibles. Oh, they grabbed that Bible. It's, oh, they, they opened it. And they just sat there and began to read. In my perfect church, people would love the word like that. Don't you want to be that? You say, well, why, why aren't I like that? We'll give you a clue and then we're going to pray. Here's what the Bible says. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. You say, okay, what does that mean? Every mama knows what that means. When your child comes home from school and says, can I have that snicker bar at four o'clock? What's your response? No, because it will ruin your dinner the full soul loatheth the honeycomb when you've already had a little snack of the world when the pure word comes you're like I don't want no vegetables <laughs> green beans you've been eating fried chicken you don't want no baked chicken no broiled chicken like Y'all ain't got no fried chicken back there? You used to fried chicken in Snicker Church. God saying, I got some baked chicken here and some green beans and some rye bread. <laughs> he said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. God's looking for people that don't need the fluff. I don't need the fluff. I don't need the hype. I don't need the pomp in the circumstance. I don't need a pastor with 15 armor bearers dragging behind him. Neither do I need folks that hold the pastor in disregard. In my perfect church, people honored the man of God. And they followed him as he followed Christ. In my perfect church, they see the imperfections in the man of God and it wouldn't cause them to think any less of, them, of him because they consider their own imperfections and how God's working on us all. Don't you want to be that? Don't you want to be a living testimony? That's the anointing that's in this house tonight. 